You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. The business of cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. This is the business of cannabis. Welcome to the business of cannabis. Every week, my co-host Matt Cook and I spend an hour with some of the most interesting, innovative, and entrepreneurial people in the cannabis business. And this week, I think we actually outdid ourselves. First off, we're going to have a conversation with Trevor Fencott, the co-founder and CEO of Fire and Flower, a 90 dispensary strong chain in Canada. And just recently, they've established a presence in California. Trevor has a unique take on the key to building a cannabis retail business. And hint, it involves owning the customer relationship. So we'll find out how we went about doing that. Our second guest, Adelia Carrillo, Chief Marketing Officer of Eventi, which is an online ticketing platform for cannabis events. Eventi was born from the frustration many cannabis event organizers felt and continue to feel when they try to use uh, some of the traditional ticketing platforms, and then they end up getting kicked out of them. Eventi has solved that problem, and Adelia will fill us in on the backstory and where Eventi hopes to take the industry. Lots to talk about. I'm Dave Skye with Matt Cook, and this is the business of cannabis. Welcome to the business of cannabis. And uh, we have a very interesting uh, a guest to, to start off the show. We're pretty excited about. Um, Trevor Fencott is with us from Fire and Flower. Uh, Trevor is co-founder and CEO. Um, one of the most exciting uh, cannabis retail businesses in North America. Uh, and I say North America because while Fire and Flower operates in five provinces in Canada, uh, including the Yukon, they just opened up a, a location in Palm Springs, California, which is cool. They own a number of brands along with Fire and Flower, including Friendly Stranger, Happy Days, Hotbox. Uh, Trevor's had a long career starting in law, which we won't hold against you. And then he added a healthy dose of tech uh, with time in gaming, uh, mobile apps, before getting involved with medicinal cannabis with a company called Metrum, which was, uh, has since been acquired, acquired by Canopy. Um, I'll ignore a few of the other things he's still involved with because we actually want to talk about fire and flower. So, uh, Trevor, welcome. Thanks for welcome, having me. Trevor. <laughs> so, uh, it's sort of as the I kind of alluded to in 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 that intro, and it's an impressive lengthy one, which I cut short. Tell us a bit about this the fire and flower vision 
because uh, what I know about it, it's a little more complex than maybe some of the uh, traditional cannabis retailers. So take, take us through that a bit. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it really comes from my background uh, in tech and sort of marrying that with, as you say, we were, I was a co-founder of Metrum Health, which is the third licensed producer in cannabis. So, you know, one of the first companies in the space in a federally legal system. And after I was acquired by Canopy, I sort of thought about the retail environment and not being a retailer myself, it kind of was really uh, quite terrifying. Hear all these stories about retail being extremely difficult, very, very, you know, hard to succeed in retail. Uh, we knew that retail was, was coming, certainly in Canada and probably globally. And so I left Canopy and thought about this for a while and, and, and realized, actually doing some research, that most of the best retailers, the ones that are actually competing with Amazon, because Amazon's destroying uh, destroying retail, apparently, uh, you know, they all had a few things in common. And, and one of the things was they were tech driven. So that was actually exciting to me because coming with a tech background, uh, that was something that I could really sink my teeth into. And they use this technology to drive deep engagement with the customers uh, and in turn, partner with their vendor partners to make better products for their customers. And it kind of seemed like a virtuous circle. And certainly in cannabis at that time, there weren't a lot of products. Everyone you know, is, is looking at how to be the Coke or Pepsi, but we don't have those big brands yet. So it was really exciting to kind of be able to start from ground zero, build the company as a tech forward retailer uh, and, and go from there. So yeah, our, our story is a lot more complicated than kind of uh, I think the typical business model, which is, you know, people like cannabis. So if I open a cannabis store, they'll come and find me and buy cannabis. And that, that works in the beginning when licenses are sort of limited and there's not really any competition. But again, my trepidation about retail was that, you know, it is competitive. And when there's money on the table, there's going to be extreme competition at some point. And so I thought, well, mm -hmm. why don't we build the retailer with the end in mind? And build it to compete at the highest levels when that happens. And certainly in Canada, we've seen that. The Canada is, is much more competitive than even Colorado and Oregon in terms of number of dispensaries, you know, per, per capita, but also government kind of uh, competition with your own regulator. That's, that's something we have in Canada. <laughs> so if we can succeed in that environment and use technology, then we're very confident about the other other states and, and markets. See, Matt, so we're going to have to Matt, we're going to have to redo our uh, business plan for our first uh, dispensary. Yeah, maybe it's not, <laughs> it was one sentence of open dispensary, but maybe we'll have yeah. to add another sentence. Anyway, Matt. Well, I, I would say so, the, the other sentence is typically uh, get bought by someone else. First, oh, yeah, no, exactly. That's in there. No, I, there's a there's a comma. There's a comma, and then get bought by for a ton of money. That's our that's without, our only business plan. That's our business right? model without doing any work. That's our that's our plan. Yeah. So when you say when you say tech uh, and technology, uh, what do you mean by that, and how are you guys kind of leading uh, the industry? Yeah, so we view technology as a complete. Um, stack of technologies on top of one another that go all the way from customer acquisition to fulfillment to customer. So they, they should map every part of the customer journey, every mm -hmm. touch point a consumer has with the retail ecosystem is a different piece of technology. And you know we started with the vision of like, look, we need to, actually the only 
back it up. The, the only job a retailer has is to own the customer journey, like own the customer relationship. Right. If you can do that, then you'll be successful. If you can't do that, then it's going to be very challenging. So we thought, look, let's make sure that we don't need to rely on outside technology for any of these pieces in the journey. So if you look at customer acquisition, there are groups like Weed Maps or um, you know, Leafly that kind of, that's how people, they do searches, mm -hmm. they kind of engage with cannabis, but then they have to bring them into an ecosystem. So, uh, and then when you do that, you're looking at something like Spring Big for you know, customer loyalty management or something, then you're actually in the store and you're looking at, uh, you know, how do I do e-commerce? How do I do digital signage? How do I run promotions and do inventory management? All the way to, you know, and that would be sort of the duchy on the outside. And then, of course, even how do I deliver to people, which would be like ease. So we started, though, knowing that each time you plug one of these in to your business, you're, you've lost control of your customer. You've lost control of that relationship. So we said, look, if our primary goal as a retailer is to own the customer relationship, we need to do it ourselves. So we built a complete suite of technologies. Uh, and you know, recently we we announced the acquisition of WikiLeaf and Pot Guides, which sort of completes the top part, the customer acquisition part of the of the journey, mm -hmm. the kind of content driven stuff. They come into our ecosystem, um, and Spark Perks is our customer uh, loyalty management program. And then, of course, we have High Fire, uh, you know, IQ, which is basically our tech suite, which which does sort of analytics and reporting and helps us run the business that way all the way to HiFire One, which is our kind of e-commerce suite, um, you know, all the digital digital signage, compliant digital advertising. Um, we also have a product called HiFire Reach, which does that. And then we do delivery. So each part of our um, ecosystem is built and protected uh, and managed by us. But but you have to, you can't just do this backwards, right? You have to, you have to intend to do this in the beginning. And that's why, yeah. Yeah. You know, when I talk about us, it's like we built our first acquisition was High Fire. It was a tech company. <laughs> it wasn't even a store. Right. Wow. Yeah. 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 So, so talk about that a little bit in terms of um, what that does and how that, you know, kind of gives you a, a, a competitive advantage. Yeah, this is so interesting because yeah. we've had people on the show yeah. and they they say it's not that you're or I'm not saying anyone's right or wrong, but it's a very unique idea because um, other people purposefully. Mm -hmm look to outsource everything they possibly can. And they consider that their competitive advantage. Yeah, I would, I would say that generally outsourcing non-core functions is a good idea, right? Like that's, that makes sense. Like you, you know, you want to use Microsoft Office yeah, for sure. to develop your own word, word processing. But so generally that's a good idea. The, the thing you need to do though, is map what is the critical path for the business. And I would argue that retail the only thing you have to be good at and you have to be the best at it is owning that customer relationship, right? Yep. If you look at Amazon, if you look yep. at, you know, Disney with Disney plus, like these companies absolutely understand how to own that relationship. Look at Apple as an example, right? They own their customer relationship. They don't, they don't use, uh, you know, third-party people, uh, you know, services because they, they know that that walled garden is valuable and, and mm -hmm. it doesn't, it's not valuable in the beginning, I definitely, you know, we received a lot of commentary when we went public about, well, look, your SGNA is so so big, like compared to your competitors. And my point was always, well, our competitors are opening cannabis stores, mm -hmm. uh, and that's fine. Uh, and yeah, you don't need you don't need to have 
you know, a team of 25 data scientists and engineers to, to do that, like for sure. Right. But yeah, five if you stores, start, sure. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for five stores, that's a lot of SGNA for sure. Yeah. But, you know, we're now at 90 stores um, mm. and, you, you know, it starts to, to even out, but you, we've laid the right foundation, right? So mm -hmm. since, since day one, pre-legalization, we built this tech. So day one in Canada, when we had legalization, our e-com system was up and running. Our customer loyalty program was up and running. So we have that relationship started from day one. Like imagine how powerful it would be if you had all the data and all the kind of customer information from like yeah. the first Model T yeah. Ford, the beginning of that yeah. industry, yeah. right? So, you know, we can do very sophisticated things now. Like um, we can model, um, you know, what a cannabis consumer might look like so that you can go out into the broader universe, like not the cannabis echo chamber, but out into the broader universe of, of, of consumers and, and look for customers and bring them into the system in a compliant way. Because you can't actually go to Google and say, hey, I'd like to buy, you know, uh, customer traffic for cannabis users, right? you know, yep. cannabis consumers. Right. They yep. would shut the door on you because it's not federally legal, right? So you have to be mm -hmm. very, you know, very adaptive there and you need that that data. And if you're, again, you know, we've, we, uh, We've had a couple of experiences where we've acquired uh, different chains and stuff and integrated them onto our technology backbone. And we've seen what happens. The third party software that we're using immediately gets shut off. There's an attempt to hijack the customer list, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. so I would argue yeah, <laughs> that the, 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 group, the groups that are using third party software maybe haven't mapped out their, their critical path yet. Mm -hmm. And I'd also argue that they, maybe their business model at the moment doesn't need to do that. Because I would say certainly in the US, you've got all the big MSOs with massive mm -hmm. market caps. Their game is, I think quite rightly for them, their game is you know Godzilla versus Mothra out in Illinois battling over the kind of limited yep. licensed states, right? Right. So if you, if you can be an oligopoly, why wouldn't you be, right? That, yeah. That's great. But, but for us, we didn't have that option. We had to, we had to start competing and, uh, you know, I, I think even those big ones that, you know, really have the attention of the public markets are throwing off a lot of good financial metrics at the moment, but they're not really competing yet, right? You, mm -hmm. you know, wait till, wait till it becomes sort of one dispensary for 8,000 people in those states. And then knowing your customer really well and having that relationship with them is going to become critical. And if yep. you've outsourced that, <laughs> but, that's, you know, I, I guess it's going to be tough. Yeah. <laughs> that's gonna interesting because in, in yeah. Canada, certainly in the urban markets like Toronto, there's some of that super competition is, is, is here. Yeah. And it's almost uh, beyond, it's almost, it's, it's impossible. You can't have three dispensaries, one block no, on any exactly. model. And, and that yeah. means two of them are going away. So, uh, and let me, let me ask you like 90 stores, do, do you treat them as a chain? Do you use your data and your technology to create the perfect dispensary from your perspective? Do they look different? Do you micro market? What's your approach that way? Yeah, no, you absolutely have to micro market and you have to customize your offering to the customer, which is a game. Like we didn't invent this stuff just, just to be, to be clear. I mean, I wish we did. I wish we, it was sort of, we could claim that genius, but retail has been around doing this. 
we simply looked at what next generation best of breed retailers were doing to compete with Amazon, to compete with the, you know, 800 pound gorilla and applied yeah. it to cannabis and built, built the tools to do it. So, so I, we have, so you must uh, customize and personalize your retail experience for the consumer. And that's not cannabis. That's everything. That's pants, that's shoes, that's mm. watch it. Like every part of retail has gone this way. You have to use assisted shopping. Right. You have to offer it yep. to people, you know, uh, differential pricing. Like, you know, what, what is a good deal to this customer uh, is going to be different than what that other customer is. So, so we knew early on that one size would not fit all for cannabis because we have this very famous, uh, you know, study in Canada where the government of Canada actually stats Canada actually phoned Canadians uh, like in the middle of the day and asked them if they used cannabis. And so, and so 25% <laughs> of the people, you know, imagine who's at home during the day, like answering the phone and saying, that's why yes, I never, right? so, I never answer my phone. That's why I'm yeah, <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. Like, yeah, absolutely. Do not answer the government phone call, but a lot of people did. And, and, they, and the stat that they got from that was about 25% of Canadians, uh, you know, were willing to say, yeah, like to I didn't consume right. cannabis, right? Mm. And, mm. and everyone thought, oh, well, I know who that is. That's the 25% that look like this or who do this or who, you know, yeah. you know write skateboards. It's yeah. actually not true. It's 25% of a very democratic substance. So it's 25% of police officers, 25% mm -hmm. of neurosurgeons, 25% yeah. of elementary school teachers. So, so, gotcha. so we knew that was going to, you know, any more than you can't have one clothing store that, that suits all tastes, cannabis is going to be very different. So we build the tech as this very solid scalable backbone. And I think the mm -hmm. tech scales at this point, I think we've done the work and I think it can scale at, at least to a thousand stores, but I think probably 2000. So it's like the, the, scale, the tech was built to be very scalable. Mm -hmm. uh, and it also can support different brands and different banners. So we went from fire and flower as, which is our mass premium offering, which is kind of, you know, um, one design kind of for a broad demographic. And actually I should back it up and say that we, we look at different consumer groups and there are probably about uh, 30 or 40 that you could probably identify. There's probably 10 of them that all, all retailers are gonna try to wanna compete for because they're valuable. Of those, Fire and Flower as a brand only uh, resonated with four of them. And so we thought, mm. well, look, with marketing, maybe you can get to five, you know, maybe, mm. maybe we can, can, can introduce it to some other markets, but, but there's still six of these groups and, and we, we gave them names. Like we have like, um, you know, Buds and Burbs is, is one of our, we do very, very well in suburban areas. And that's great. Like that's, that's, that's a good market for us, but we were missing um, key markets. So when we acquired Friendly Stranger, that was really about, uh, Friendly Stranger is like a very long-standing, um, you know, chain uh, here in, uh, in in Canada. It's been around since the early '90s. It's been part of the kind of yeah. evolution of cannabis legalization. So it's it, it's mm -hmm. consumers skew, uh, you know, much older. It's consumers skew, uh, you know, much more knowledgeable. Like they want a different kind of relationship with cannabis yeah. than, you know. And, and maybe a bigger wallet on some levels, I guess. Yeah, would, yeah, would well, exactly. Probably. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and listen, some very beautiful and advanced glassware and stuff in that in those stores. So, so right, the we knew this yeah. would be different. Yeah. So, so we knew there was going to be different offerings that were required uh, for that. And then at the same time, can you guys hear me? Okay, actually, I've, I've got a little yeah. bird in my ear. Yeah. Okay. No. Um, 
but yeah, so we knew that the customers are going to be different. So the stores need to be different, but also that the backbone needed to extend to all these different places. So we, we onboarded a few different banners and our goal was, look, when we onboard a banner, let's not change it. Let's sort of learn about who the customers really are there and how we can better service them. And, you know, the, the unifying glue, so to speak, is the Spark Perks loyalty program. It's the Spark Perks members program. That's what's common between all the stores that we, we operate. Uh, that's the, the glue. It gives it a common feel when yeah. you go in, at least, you know, you're part of this ecosystem. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, okay, so I, I, I started off with a softball question. I'm going to ask you a hard question now. It's the one hard question. I promise <laughs> never to do it again. But if this is really cool. Uh, why, it, or, or maybe I'm, I'm, it's mistaken, you're obviously uh, focusing on bricks and mortar more than, say, the online kind of world. Or am I wrong about that? And yeah, why are you so cool. high on bricks and mortar when, as you allude to, Amazon went the complete opposite way? Uh, and as and that's that's why they're destroying um, certain segments in retail, not all retail. So, what is it about cannabis that requires this customer experience, this direct customer experience? Is it the well, person themselves? Yeah. Is it the nature of the product? It, I think it's it's kind of both of those things, uh, depending on which group you're talking about, right? So for and I'll use I'll use buds and verbs as as one of our demographic examples, right? That's a that's a that's a demographic that wants uh, newness. That curation is very important too, uh, and the and the experience and the educational piece of it is important because this is sort of gen, you know it's generally a new uh, substance for them. Right, so they want to, they 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 want to come in and talk to. We call them bud tenders. Sorry, our canistas. I know the bud tenders is, is what people call them as well, but they want to come in and talk to someone and 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 in a sense sort of have guidance on this journey because they don't they don't know exactly what they want yet. Versus again, friendly stranger, perfect example. Like those customers really know what they want, <laughs> really know. Yeah, sure. And you like better have decades of right, right, yeah, yeah, knowledge exactly. Yeah. And and you know, I don't need you to tell me what I want. I know. Right, what I you want. got so, to get out of their way, I guess. To don't mess it up. Don't don't ruin it by that, telling them. That's how right. To, yeah, interesting. Yeah. But but to your point, your broader point about e e-commerce and stuff, I, I we absolutely agree. We we built it with that in mind. You like physical retail is always going to be important. Um, for that, because it's the touch point between consumers and the actual product. It's the only way to kind of really know what's happening there uh, is just to, to, to view it in store and have that experience. But having said that, absolutely, do we do we look at an asset light model? Hundred percent. That's why we built the, the the you know technology background, the backbone to this. So we do a lot of delivery, you know, and and we saw it really take off in you know with COVID. Uh, coming down here with 40,000 Spark Perks members, um, and we're up to 310,000, right? So that tells you the power wow. of that digital engagement. Wow. Yeah. And with WikiLeaf and Pot Guides, we, you know, we're, we want to drive that, we want to double that number because those engaged customers are simply more valuable. Um, they, they, mm -hmm. they purchase more often, they do all these different things. So I think we're the, kind of the hybrid, like we took the page from Amazon. But Amazon is simply just delivering things from other people um, mm -hmm. and, and setting up a marketplace. I think that because we're in a regulated business, it's it's important to have that 
uh, touch point in, in you know for the foreseeable future. But we absolutely see a, a view. If you look at our latest uh, announcements, when we talk about our tech platform is now powering branded online dispensaries. So you can go think of any brand you want. You guys could have a brand if you want. And it's sort of like, here's our branded dispensary. You have sort of white label product produced by another uh, licensed producer or something, or, or not, you just curate your stuff from our existing catalog. It's your web presence, your online. It's just fulfilled by our stores locally. And if we don't have a local store, then we'll find someone else to fulfill it, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. that's, that is super asset light, but you have to build right. the tech to do that. And, uh, you know, again, with, with respect to kind of the massive um, footprint and revenue growth that we've seen from the MSOs, that's just simply not technology that they have. We know they don't have, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're yeah. a little slower out of the gate because we, we can't directly. Uh, they have more square do, footage. I get it. That's right. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Interesting yeah. and challenging. And, uh, and, uh, and that's what the purpose of the show is. Uh, at the end of the day, it's a business. And, it, and that's why I find so interesting. You say like, you didn't invent retail. Um, it's a unique product. And there is a lot of uh, unique aspects to it. But at a lot the end of nuances. Of it, yeah. yeah. We are talking to Trevor Fencott uh, from Fire and Flower. Um, fireandflower.com if you want to find out more or find a store uh, and um, check out one of the 90 locations, including Palm Springs, California, for for our Palm Springs, uh, California listeners. Um, Trevor, I want to thank you very much uh, 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 for being here. And we're going to have you back. Yeah, thanks, Trevor. It was was great. And, and find out uh, like when you have uh, 180 stores and uh, and then when you got a thousand stores, <laughs> it'll be an interesting Absolutely. conversation. Absolutely. Well, listen, thanks so much for having me on and very, very, you know, a, a pleasure talking to, to, to people who are interested in the, as you said, the background to it. It's not just setting up mm-hmm. a cannabis shingle, it's building a business. So yeah, very much appreciate yeah. it. Okay. We get it. We need a, a new business plan. We'll do it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Matt, anyway. Matt, and Dave, Matt and Dave's cannabis store okay. is, uh, is it's, not going well. It's not going well. Uh, now we have to build some technology. Thanks, yeah. uh, Trevor. No, yeah. we'll, we'll make you a branded store guy. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, this Thanks. we're here Thanks, with Trevor, uh, Trevor uh, Fencock, and 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 we'll be uh, we'll be back soon. The business of cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers, cash recyclers, smart safes software and services, CashTech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call CashTech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. So welcome back to the business of cannabis. Um, we have a, I think a very interesting segment here uh, talking with Adelia Carrillo. Um, she's with uh, Event High. Uh, uh, Adelia has been in the marketing game uh, for some time now and but the last uh, four or five years in the cannabis sector. So she brings a ton of experience to the space. 
uh, entrepreneur as well, uh, started up, uh, she was the CEO of Direct Cannabis Network, which is a B2B news network focused on, you know, the latest tech, entrepreneurship, innovations in the cannabis, uh, in the cannabis space. Now she is the chief marketing officer for, for Event High, which is an online ticketing platform for cannabis-related events. So welcome to the business of cannabis, Adelia. Thanks for having me. I'm excited great. to be here. <laughs> yeah, great to have you on. So quick one about the direct cannabis network. Is, are, is this like competition? Because it sounds like this show, right? Uh, <laughs> or is it still going on? What? Tell us a bit about that and tell us how that started. Yeah, um, I mean, it's not, unfortunately, no, we're not, we're not a competition because we're- Okay, we're, call off the dogs, Matt. <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. That's right. Yeah, we're good. We don't need to go into the fighting. We room. don't have to go into our <laughs> spam mode. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, I would say, you know, it was it was a great venture. Um, we definitely were a little bit too early, but we, we did a lot. We were able to provide a voice for a lot of early startups in the industry and, and, and innovation and, and community. Mm -hmm. um, so that was really cool, but- yeah, timing, it really is everything. I, I learned a lot from it, but um, we just couldn't, we, again, we were just too early. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that, why don't we use that as a segue to Event High? Like why, why is, tell us what Event High is okay. and sort of flesh it out. And then why, why is timing good now? Why, yes. why is? So Event High um, is an online, uh, ticketing platform, as you mentioned, catering to the cannabis culture. Now, how we evolved was we actually were hosting B2B cannabis events, um, and we actually did get shut down. We had to fight with the ticketing mm. platform for months to get the funds into our account, um, which as event organizers know, funds are vital to producing an event. Uh, you need that to, to create the whole experience. Um, so that kind of little hurdle had that almost aha moment of, are other event organizers going through this? Um, so we started putting fillers out there and we found out, yes, you know, many uh, other event organizers were getting shut down or getting their accounts frozen. We're getting their, uh, their ticket orders just automatically refunded to all the guests and them waking up and not really, you know, the next day and being like, oh, wow, I don't have any ticket sales and I don't have access to my account. Um, and so as we started doing more research, we figured out a way that we could solve it. And that was by actually uh, finding a bank. Um, we got a marijuana related business bank account and it allowed us to, it allows us to cater to the cannabis event sector, specifically for tickets and sponsorship sales. Um, so that's how we've been able to really build the business and, and provide a compliant platform uh, and also not be in fear um, because the reason Eventbrite and these other platforms shut these events down is they look at it as a prohibited event, prohibited merchant and prohibited transaction because cannabis is still mm -hmm. a schedule one drug. You're a triple threat. Yeah. <laughs> got all, the all the bases covered. So can you d describe how, you know, the platform works and, um, you know, talk a little bit about like, you know, who, who your customers are. Yeah. So we actually have three customers. Uh, we have event hosts, we have event goers, and we actually now have brands. So we have one big marketplace, but for an event organizer, they would come to Event High, create an account, and add their events so they can easily promote uh, or publish 
promote uh, and sell tickets or sponsorships for their events. Event goers would sign up and be able to look at all these different unique cannabis events and experiences that are happening uh, throughout the US in a variety of different states. And then you have brands who can actually shop now for sponsorships through our sponsorship feature on Event High. Um, so we're really creating this community for, for those in all realms of the event uh, sector. Um, one thing that we've noticed, though, which has been very interesting, is that these, you know, if they start as an event goer, now there's some of them are becoming event hosts or mm -hmm. they work for a brand and now they're becoming a, sponsor, a, a brand who's buying sponsorships. So we're getting to see them work as, you know, being parts of all customer uh, sectors for us. Mm -hmm. So um, let's start in those three. Let's break it down. So I'm I I want to start. I want to do an event in January of 2022. Okay, maybe I'm starting a little late. But I'm still going to do it. What do I do? Does that connect to my? Is that like? Are you a whole site? So you're the. Are you the the site that hosts the event, or am I linking that to another service? And then the, when the event's happening itself, what's the interaction? So we are just all around the ticket side of it. So essentially, if you have a, a landing page yourself for your event, you would put that ticket link from our site into your website. Uh, so like a button and they can shop there and then get the ticket. Um, we don't handle event production. Um, you know, we do have basic marketing in the sense where we promote public events on our platform uh, to our community. Um, but we would just be your ticket, your ticket processing processor, basically. Okay. So I'd, I'd incorporate your event high into my whatever page. Um, yeah. Beautiful. And then it's a seamless. I don't the, I don't know. I just go in, I pay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So then you just go in, you create an account and as an event goer, you just buy uh, whichever ticket you want and then you'll process the, your order. And then, um, then it, it'll go into the event organizers basically account in their dashboard. Now, what we do is uh, we don't pay event organizers until seven days after the event. And this is to help build transparency and trust. So if an event organizer um, has any refunds or chargebacks, that allows us to work through those for those seven days so that, um, you know, we can really be kind of that middle person between the event goer, making sure they got what they paid for and the event organizer, you know, making sure they get paid for what they provided. Mm -hmm. So how did, uh, how did COVID affect your business? Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt always asked a mean spirited question. Yes. <laughs> He's the bad cop and I'm the, yeah. the ray of sunshine. The ray of sunshine. Yes. Um, well, you know, I still to this day, I say the same story because it feels exactly like it. I, we literally felt like we got punched in the stomach. Like we had, mm. none of us knew. No, I mean, in reality, nobody, none of us in any sector of the industry knew this was going to happen. So um, we quickly, though, and I give a, a major credit to the team, we pivoted very quickly. We figured that, you know, we didn't know how long this was going to go for, but we saw literally 90% of our business within a month completely disappear. They either canceled, wow. postponed, and this was state by state. So we're watching state by mm. state canceling on our platform. And it it was not the best feeling, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah. 
we, we really, again, pivoted and we're like, okay, what can we do? So we figured two things. We're going to focus on education. Um, so we really started providing, you know, virtual, our own virtual events to educate event hosts on, um, you know, what the future may look like, giving them updates of what we're hearing by these state-by-state -state guidelines for the event sector, what they're mm -hmm. allowing states, uh, how, you know, how many events, how many people you can have at these events. So that's one component. The second part was we started offering a new service, which was uh, virtual event production services. So we don't have like a feature where you could, we're not a Zoom, but we could help you manage um, the event production behind the Z behind the scenes for a platform like Zoom or uh, Hopin or Run the World. Um, we ended up partnering with three virtual event production platforms and um, again, offering that service to event hosts so, that's, so that they didn't have to try to learn some new thing because they're used to in-person events. The majority mm -hmm. weren't used to this virtual online thing. Um, and, and that actually turned out to be something that kept us going and kept us alive. I mean, we're here, we made it through the, the hardest part is what I'm imagining of, of COVID. Um, so, so that's, yeah, it, it definitely helped, but we also were able to stay relevant by, by being that resource and educating to our community. Is that still happening, the, the virtual element? Because we're, we're seeing a bit of that uh, sort of people aren't sure which way to go, but there's a lot of advantages to the virtual. There's probably more advantages to the hybrid. Yes. Are people continuing to, to, to now offer both or as, as this, we sort of come back to life or do you find it now nah, people are trying to revert to the traditional model? What's, what's your take? So what we saw was in February of this year, that's when in-person events really kicked off and it was going good, good, good until honestly about probably three, three, four weeks ago, we started seeing less and less uh, in-person events. They're still happening, but they're now more it intimate. I would say there's a lot more intimate events that are ha happening, um, smaller gatherings, um, but we're now starting to see a spike in virtual events coming back. Um, the hybrid component though, is the one that really thrived that we saw throughout this, this February to end of summer kind of thing. Um, it makes sense for event organizers and, and the sponsors because a event organizers potentially sell a cheaper and another ticket and, and they can also provide sponsors with more brand awareness in person to the people that are there and then online through whichever virtual platform they use. Take me, let's jump to the sponsorship angle. What, what, how do you facilitate that? It's intriguing. I know it's a big part of it. I know it's one of the most difficult things to do because you're focused on one thing and then sponsorships are, are that other aspect of it. How, what, how do you guys facilitate that? Um, so right now that feature is in beta. So it's still very ah, okay. simple and new, but, but of what event organizers are using it. So basically how it works is right now they send us their sponsorship deck and we build out their page basically. So it'll, it'll turn instead of, event organizers sending their PDF, you know, these large, huge files of PDF, sending it to brands, they just send them a link now. And on the link, it shows their sponsorship deck. And then the brand can just select and purchase which sponsorship they want. Now that's not an automatic yes. Mm. It actually gets sent to the event organizer and they get a notification saying, do you approve or deny the sponsorship? So now they can see, you know, yes, this is a good brand that aligns with my event or no, this brand is not what we're looking for. And they'll say no. Um, and then from there, once they approve it, then it gets finalized. 
Um, so again, we're kind of just that component where uh, they needed event organizers actually needed, they were getting shut down again on other platforms trying to sell mm. sponsorships. Um, so we were able to get that approved by our uh, financial institution that said that sponsorships align with the event. So we can, pro we can cater to that. Gotcha. So event uh, right. brands figure out this is a, this is a hub for me. Come mm -hmm. in, check out the events, uh, reach out to whoever I want. Yeah. Yeah. Make, make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And then pay. <laughs> and then pay. Yes. <laughs> the the most important part. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hit the button, hit the button. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of, you know, what, uh, what um, are you seeing in terms of, uh, from the standpoint of what companies are doing well, what they're not doing well, um, maybe you can give some advice to, uh, to the folks listening. So, you know, one thing that I, I think needs to be talked about when it comes to the event industry is, uh, more towards brands. Um, you know, I understand the brands are paying for these sponsorships, but it's a win-win if brands or the partners are also promoting these events because it gets more eyeballs. I see sometimes brands or, or partners just rely on the event organizer, which, you know, yes, I understand why they're the ones creating it and producing it. But at the end of the day, you know, you want to, as a brand, promote this to your audience. What if they want to come see you? What if they want to get in front of your product? So, so it's not mm -hmm. a harmful thing. And it's really, it's, it may be extra work, but it's a couple posts, a couple shout outs, and it just shows that you're involved. It's, it's mm -hmm. a way to market yourself. So that's areas that we see, you know, kind of not doing well. Um, also some event organizers, we try to educate them to describe their events, you know, just a couple words of like, Oh, 21 plus and, um, you know, movie night or something simple is not going to sell, you know, people want to mm -hmm. know what, what am I spending my money on? What is the experience yep. going to be? Um, so it's just really, you know, making sure you get that clear in your messaging, um, even on the ticket page, because that's going to solidify their ticket purchase. Right. Yeah. When like, I guess I assume there's always the extras that one buys and, and you guys would have that, you know, buy the, the premier ticket or to the show or whatever it is. And then, you know, Matt and Dave uh, from Business of Cannabis are going to be speaking. It's obviously going to sell out, but you got to promote it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So true. Yeah. Um, no, that's neat. So um, what, what, so that's what they're not doing. What are they doing well? What do you see like, oh, this is cool. This is really happening for these companies. What, what does that look like? Other than the opposite to what you just said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Promote it and <laughs> well. describe it. Okay. What are they doing sort of weeks before they, what, yeah. I, I, or maybe it's not, maybe you've answered that question. Yeah. So one thing I would like to, to kind of be a little bit different than, than the first thing is more of the unique experiences they're creating. I am amazed by the different types of way you can incorporate, you can, can incorporate cannabis in everything. I've seen a country fest in cannabis, like a country cannabis festival. Uh, I've seen sushi and doobie where you learn how to roll a sushi roll and roll a joint. Um, <laughs> they have, I, think I like that one. Are, 
I think I know which one's harder, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and so it's just really the creativity of how they are creating these experiences, even in, and it's not just on consumption. I'm, I'm, these are, you know, educational events. These are um, just different, these scientific events and, and conferences. They're just finding these different ways to, to attract and connect with different people throughout for this plant. Um, so that's really one of the things that's my favorite and that I see them doing well is how they're creating these experiences. Um, the other good thing I would say is, you know, just that they're creating community. They're creating their own communities to help educate. Events to us are vital for the cannabis plant because they not only bring people together, all different types of people, but they also help educate in some sort of way around at the at each experience. Um, whether it's learning about a product, whether it's learning about the history of the plant, whether it's learning about a brand. So everything around these events somehow educate for the plant. And I think that's great. So how does your pricing model work? So we, um, if anybody that wants to use uh, Event High and they don't have, and their tickets are free, they don't have to pay anything. If okay. there is a ticket cost, there is a service and processing fee. Um, so they can, however, pass those fees on to attendees, which 99% of event organizers do. It's also mm -hmm. because we're all familiar with that. We pay the mm -hmm. processing fees on Ticketmaster for concerts, same thing with the other platforms. So um, event organizers have, uh, have the opportunity to absorb or pass those fees on. Now, what that looks like is it's 2.9% plus 99 cents per ticket uh, is a as a service fee and 3% processing fee. So we're a little bit cheaper than some of our competitors. I was going to say yeah. that's uh, yeah, it's pretty high. reasonable. Obviously, for the Matt and Dave uh, event, it's going to be way higher. <laughs> it's going to be out of control. But no, that's that's okay. That's cool. Um, and you solved the problem. I don't want to pump up event high too much, but it does sound it's like so simple uh, because mm -hmm. it's it's just what works. I assume it's what people expect. Yeah, they and, don't and expect that... to have a problem paying for something. <laughs> Yeah, that's what we definitely were here for. We're help, we're here to solve that problem. Now it's started to build this community and we're actually now in the realms of getting out of beta. So we're in public beta. Um, you know, COVID kind of slowed things down for us, unfortunately, but it was obviously even more strategic for us because it gave us more time to really look at what we're building and, mm -hmm. and what new features we're going to offer. So, so now we're back on the roadmap uh, and that timeline's moving forward again. So we're super excited. So Julia, that's that's great, and and so we're here with Adelia Carrillo of Event High, and that's uh, what's the website? I should have eventhigh.io. Eventhigh.io. Uh, check that out if you want more information. Um, thanks very much. That was really interesting, and it's always great to hear uh, about a focused product that solves a problem, mm -hmm. and we don't have to spend twenty minutes trying to figure out what what, what do they do. <laughs> why, why am I calling this person? It's great. Um, and and without event, cannabis needs these events. COVID has been very problematic. But as a new industry that's growing, it's critical. And how ridiculous is it that there was problems just trying to pay for a ticket? I mean, yeah. maybe that's maybe 100 <laughs> years ago that was a problem. Yeah. You wouldn't expect it. So thanks very much for, uh, for sharing uh, the event high story. Yeah, thanks, thanks for joining for us. Yeah, thanks for having me.
brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. So a lot raised. Uh, we uh, had two guests, Trevor Fencott of yeah. Fire and Flower and Adelia Carrillo of Ventai. Really interesting issues. I'm sort of reflecting back on what they were saying. And if there's a commonality of theme, we've got two companies trying to establish uh, a, a brand out of their platform. Mm -hmm. One is uh, sort of a, a retail cannabis platform. Uh, the other, a ticketing platform, but both are trying to to create value, I'm believing that's what the customers are going to resonate with. I find it interesting. Uh, maybe Fire and Flower is at, they have some brands. They have, obviously they have over almost nine, they have 90 locations. So clearly store is important. Um, and we've had other people on the show who, who think it's about the stores or other people who say, no, this could be the age of the brand. Um, it yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I I think you know at the end of the day, um, it's going to be about the customer, and the customer is going to decide you know whether it's the brand or the experience. Um, yeah, you, th you think of other products. There's products that sell for a premium, lots of them, obviously that are yeah. unrelated to their price. Four hundred dollars for a pair of running shoes, or ten thousand dollars for a Hermes purse, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. uh, is cannabis going to be a commodity? Is that going to be the big winner? Are people going to care about this tech platform um, in terms of fire and flower? Uh, or is it going to be like Amazon where they really care and they really love it? Uh, I, yeah. yeah, it's it, it, it's kind of that interesting dilemma, right? It's, um, you know, I think you, you kind of need both um, in this environment. Uh, you, you look at, if you go to a dispensary, you want a good customer experience. Um, but what happens post-sale? What happens mm -hmm. to nurture that customer and keep them coming back to your store? Is it the brand? Is it the experience? Is it the product? And I think it's a I think it's a combination of all three. Yeah, it'll be, and also short term, long term. Maybe short term, right? You're right, but you won't get to the long term unless you handle the customer. Exactly. Right. And I think I think that's the case. I think there's still a lot of um, uneducated people that are hesitant to uh, consume cannabis because they they don't they don't know what they don't know. Right. You walk into a, uh, a liquor store and buy a bottle of wine. You know exactly what you're getting out of that. You don't necessarily. Yeah. And, and maybe you're brand loyal. Maybe you're not. But you know exactly what you're going to get out of that. And I think a lot of people um, are maybe a little hesitant to go into a dispensary because they don't know what the experience is going to be like. Um, I think education is a big part of it. Um, and just making people feel comfortable. Like, you know, like an Apple store. Yeah, the um, definitely al the alcohol example, because clearly that's about brand. Uh, a liquor store certainly can create a 
an atmosphere, but ultimately you're going in there to buy usually something you know you're going to buy. Or even if you're browsing for wine, it's it's a particular type of wine, but it's not because I love this place. That's there is exceptions to that, obviously, but but cannabis seems to have yeah for all this branding and and tech super important definitely long term. But right now I wonder if it isn't what where can you create this like you say comfort level. and I think that's really important, especially to people that have never consumed it before. Um, just you right. know, understanding what you're trying to accomplish, like whether it's for, you know, anxiety, you know, depression, um, inflammation, you know, um, how do I go about talking to someone that will, you know, answer those questions um, before I actually consume it? You know, and then an, an event high is so is is related in the sense of what you said before. If you're going to be successful, longer term, or mm-hmm. you need you need all these components in a platform, right? Like ticketing, something you wouldn't think is so particularly sexy or interesting, but it's you know it can destroy your whole experience to this event. Oh, hundred um, percent. That's like you know. Yeah, you can have the great brand, you can great store, and then and then you don't have a few little pieces of the puzzle all falls apart. Event High might have a great strategy for either being purchased in a couple of years by one of the bigger mainstream, like or it'll be interesting to see whether yeah. or whether they created a unique brand in cannabis that can't be overcome, no matter what Event High, sort of Event Bright or whatever whatever they do. Um, well, I guess in a couple of years, we'll, we'll have these two people back. And we'll, yeah. We'll figure out, we'll solve the problem. We'll but know. it is, it is interesting though. Like <clears throat> these are problems that people don't even think about uh, until they have the problem, like with event high. Yeah. Uh, and maybe that's too late, but yeah, you're right. Um, you know, and maybe there's, there's something to the platform and maybe they can get the message out. Hopefully we can be part of that um, to say, hey, there is a solution and there's a problem that you don't even know about. Well, lots to talk about. So as always, we wanna thank our guests, Trevor Fencott of Fire and Flower and Adelia Carrillo of Vent High. Uh, next week, more of the same as we talk to uh, most important uh, people in the cannabis business. Also want to thank my co-host, Matt Cook. Always fun. And thank you, Dave. And thank you for all listening. And this has been another edition of The Business of Canvas. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network. Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.